What's going on, guys? Another huge episode of the Almost Made It podcast coming your way. We had a great guest on, uh, a big friend of Cultural Club, Adriano Del Monte. We spoke all things interviewing Lionel Messi, his unbelievable journey to get to last year's Champions League final, and his little encounter with Gary Neville in his pinstripe suit. You know what? I missed this one, guys. Let's jump straight in. Welcome back to episode three of the Almost Made It podcast, proudly brought to you by Cultural Club, another massive guest this week, uh, an old friend actually, believe it or not. This man right here helped us set up our first ever talk show many, many moons ago in like 2018. Mr. Adriano Del Monte, he's a seasoned professional, uh, has graced screens across five continents on seven different networks, and he's Obviously, you know, covered World Cups, UEFA events, Euros, the best Euro yet as well. We'll get into that. <laughs> but welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, boys. Great to see you and great to have followed all your progress in recent years as well. Thank you, Thank very, you very much. much. Um, where do we start? This is uh, going to be a good chat, a good catch up too because we haven't caught up for a while. Of course. So, you know, two in one here. Yeah? I'm looking forward to it very much. <laughs> I guess it's a, it's a niche sort of industry you're in. Mm. So we'll start from the start. How did it? <laughs> how did it all begin? It's a good question. A lot. Of, look, is it's a long story with a lot of uh, sacrifice, ongoing sacrifice, and and hard work that doesn't get seen. Uh, it, it's a, it's a weird industry because the TV space, especially at this point, the end of international football, you only see the two minutes I'm on the pitch before a match. Mm. You're at the Champions League final. It's you're doing a quick hit, oh, it looks great, but you don't see the work that sort of goes behind the scenes. That's sort of been the story over the entirety of the journey. I I didn't really have the, I guess, the linear path that I was encouraged to follow here growing up in Australia. And from a very young age, I sort of decided I need to get a bit like a player, right? Yeah, I, I felt to myself, if I want to take it to the top, I want to play at the highest level possible, I need to try at the highest level possible from the get-go. And that was sort of my mentality early on. No fear, nothing to lose, and just just go for it. And again, a very long story, very short. I graduated uni, I was 20, and I uh, had an opportunity that came up to take on some internships because of some work I had done while uh, studying in that high school in the UK. So I spent uh, half a year there with ESPN, Sky Sports, a couple of the big British broadcasters, just to learn how the industry works. Sort of what I learned then is it's really an industry where you need to be able to talk the talk, but you need to understand where you need to walk and you needed to meet people to understand what needs to be done to get to where you want to get to. So those were really invaluable experiences because from there I was able to do some work at the at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. I went to 2014 in Brazil. I did some radio work when I came back to Australia and I felt that my mind was being now a little more open to, to what's possible in this world. And the long of it short is that I ended up in Miami with Bean Sports. And Bean Sports was a network that no one knew existed because it was a, a Middle Eastern broadcaster, opened their first major international hub in Miami. And through a contact, I was invited for a test. They liked what they saw. And it started to roll from there. They sent me to Qatar very shortly after once the network bought into Australia. They did their production out of Qatar and that was HQ. And I spent a couple of years living in the Middle East, which I basically went from very little 
TV experience to working internationally immediately. And it was the the belief that was shown in my confidence abroad that really then paved the way for what's to come. And look, it was a really important time in my career, which has now sort of led to me being based in Milan for, I'm into my fifth season now in, in Milan. And uh, obviously Italian heritage, had the passport, was a, a very easy to make the move there. And yeah, you set off the top and now I'm working for seven different TV networks, internationally based, uh, Five continents, FIFA and UEFA as well as an event host, which is a is a crazy thing to be able to say, but something I worked very hard to achieve, and then also AC Milan as well. So it's uh, yeah, it's busy, but very enjoyable, and has been a a good journey, which is still ongoing and still working very hard to this point. The wrong uh, Milan team, no. to spoil it, but anyway, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I love them all. All right. <laughs> Growing up, but was it sort of a dream? You know, like going into sort of in the last years of high school. Was this something that you wanted to do, or was there other things that you sort of thought you'd end up doing? I always loved sport, right? Yeah. So sport's always been in the blood. I actually look. Football's always been in the blood because it's the first thing that I I did with my family. The first thing I loved, but I was. Very good at Aussie rules. That was my actual sport. Now, I didn't love Aussie rules. Yeah. I could just play. So I guess being very young, I guess my my dream when I was a really young kid was like, well, if I played Aussie rules, maybe then I could do the media thing. And I always had this interest in TV. So in answer to the question, I was always interested in working in TV, in sport. No idea why. It was just something I used to really enjoy. I used to watch those sports news channels just on repeat, yeah. watch people talk about yeah. the same sport, but I just, I was attracted to everything, whether it was US sports, motorsport, tennis, I was into it all. And so, yeah, I guess from there, once my mind started to understand, well, if I want to try and pursue this, I can chase some travel and, and chase some opportunities abroad. It made it a really appealing prospect to to pursue and to really relentlessly chase. And I've really enjoyed that relentless chase because it provides an unknown, which I, I really thrive off and has kept me busy and happy, but it has been a very difficult journey as well, which I'm always very transparent about. We always... um one of those kids in the backyard when you're kicking the footy around or the, the ball around you just commentate to <laughs> I always. Yeah. No, because we used to play a lot of FIFA with yeah, my brother yeah, and yeah. cousins and I would just commentate on top of money. Martin Tyler. And <laughs> <laughs> so it was always a, it was always blood, a yeah. lot of fun. It, it was in the blood, I don't yeah. know. But it was always something I really enjoyed. So you mentioned moving to Milano. How's the transition been? What's What do you like? Is it different to Melbourne? What's mm. different? You know, some people that come and visit call it the, the closest thing in Italy that's sort of the Melbourne of Australia, mm. the closest thing there. What do I love about Milan is that I continually fall in love with it as each day goes on. It's really interesting because the I'm in a fortunate position because I work for foreign companies and live in Italy and you really have to be Italian to understand exactly what that means because some things, how they work there, the procedures and processes, something that we're used to taking a day or two here in Australia due to our efficiency can take two or three months there <laughs> if you're lucky. So <laughs> it's a it's a difficult place to live on that front in terms of its bureaucracy, but in terms of lifestyle, it's what I always come back to. Everywhere I've been fortunate to live, and I've obviously I've lived in Qatar, I've spent extended periods in Miami and New York City, and obviously now in Milan, I always love the lifestyle aspect. My work is secondary, mm. and I think that's what's helped me prosper with my work because I just – don't take it too seriously while respecting the journey, of course, but I really embrace what's around me. And what's around me are people, it's food, it's family that I have there, and that really sets the tone for how I feel and how I, how I progress as an individual. So the Italian way of life 
I think is the way that everyone in in Australia, in other parts of the, the developed world, dream to live like, whereas they do it every day. And their lifestyle is very different. My family are from Sicily, the south of Italy. Now, on paper, they don't have as much as my family here in Melbourne. They don't have large houses with backyards and swimming pools and, in some cases, tennis courts. They're luxuries. But it's also quite normal for us here in Australia. And at times, I, I think we as a society, we take it for granted. My family in Sicily who live in a small apartment with five people in the one apartment or an entire family in the same building – they don't take that for granted. It's a little more all they have. And I feel that they are actually at times happier than we are here. And what that does for me living there, what I love most about living in Italy is it provides a wonderful balance of work hard, but appreciate those simple things in life, the small things in life, because ultimately they're the most important things in life. And as such, I've, I've discovered this perfect balance for my work, my life, and just my appreciation for where, where I am, what I'm doing. And that's why I say I don't take my work too seriously. I try my best, but I always know that there's plenty more that, you know, this beautiful life has to offer. For me, I think that's always the biggest thing I realized. Obviously, we lived in Italy mm. as players, which is different, mm. right? We don't experience the full extent of the lifestyle. But now every time we go back, we just, we went this year as well for six weeks, seven weeks. And I think that's the main thing that always sticks with me. Yep. Like when you're with family or with your friends over there, it's so different, the feeling. No one worries about going to bed at 9 o'clock because yeah. I've got to get up yeah, at 9 yeah, o'clock the next day. Or, you know, mm. people are together enjoying always. every second and it's always, what are we doing tomorrow? Who's cooking what? It's Who's living the... for now too. Like, exactly. Right. Tomorrow might not come, you know, so enjoy now. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So. Absolutely. And, and I, think, I think ultimately it's a case of the days there. They feel longer oh. because people do more. 100%. Yeah, exactly right. They live flexibly. Yeah, if you want to go out for dinner tonight, that's possible. Yes. <laughs> here we live a bit more of a structured way of life. Obviously, in terms of what times we do things here, we eat dinner at six, there they eat dinner at nine. Yeah. It does change the day. A classic story I always enjoy is that, and I still laugh every single time, but it doesn't matter if it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday evening, and it's a school night. I see restaurants full with young families, with young <laughs> children. Now, here they would have been in bed at 6.30. Exactly right. <laughs> but there it's 10 p.m. and they're just sitting down to the – to, to their first dish, it's it's a different way of life, but again, it's because they appreciate that side of life equally as much than the other factors of life, and it of is. Course. It's living for the moment. So I think ultimately it does – it's not for everyone, I guess, mm. but certainly for me where I'm at, it does allow me to, to just find that perfect balance to bring out the best in everything I'm doing at the moment. Don't get me wrong, you know, we're lucky to be here too, but come, I remember the first week we got back from Europe, we were catching up with our friends – and we had, I we went for a hit of, you know, paddle. Of course. Like, all right, let's go get a coffee. I think it was 8.30, 8, 8 o'clock, 8.30. I think we wanted dinner originally. But then we were like 8.30. Yeah, We're not here dinner. No, 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 no. <laughs> Adriano, we drove around for I don't know how long, just trying to find somewhere open. <laughs> like, it's not even late. It's not late. It's just so different. You know how the flip side works as well, right? The mornings. See, I'm not a morning yeah, person, right? It's everything's later. Everything's yeah, later. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Shops don't open at 9 a.m. on the yeah, dot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they yeah, might true. open at 11. Then it's lunch at one. But look, the food culture there is so important and they don't outprice people of enjoying yeah. that. Now, you can't afford to do it every day, yeah. but I can give you an example. When people work in an office, they don't have the quick sandwich at the desk, of shut course, the laptop. Yeah. <laughs> You, you close the laptop, you turn the phone upside down, and as a, as a team, you yeah. go out for an hour to, work, uh, to, to eat lunch, and you have a full meal, and you spend quality time together. And then ultimately, you work later, you finish at 7, 8 o'clock. 
but you really enjoy the mm. meals, the coming together, the social. See, and that's such a like important thing because I think so. You take a step back, mm. so then you're gonna take more steps because you're gonna work longer. You're gonna be more productive instead Correct. of sitting there eating a sandwich on the laptop. Correct. And that's I've always like that's one thing that does my head in here when mm. we work. It's like just half an hour. Let me relax. Let me eat. Absolutely. And then for me as well, like if you're working as a team. It's actually a bonding thing as well. It's okay to family, you know. Absolutely. You sit down, have a meal, you talk, you see how each other's going, and I think it's it's a one thing that's important. Not only for mm. you know people think, oh, it's just you know you want to kick back, you don't want to do anything. But <laughs> no, no, no. there's a lot more benefits to it than people think. You know what I mean? I, I work with AC Milan as I mentioned, and one there, there are there are three of us on this program. We do a weekly English language show, and again, this is a beautiful way where a fast paced club, a big ambitious club like Milan and the Italian culture come into play. Once uh, a couple of us arrived 30 minutes before the show recording, it's not live, and they were a little edgy with us. They weren't too happy. <laughs> we did the show. I said, oh, I thought that was a good show. Like, eh. And obviously in Italian it's much funnier. But they said, yeah, but next time you've got to arrive an hour or so before so we can have due chiacchere, meaning yeah, yeah. you know a little chat and we can spend some time together. We grab a cafe. So they value that as yeah. much as the actual work because ultimately if we build this beautiful rapport where one family, one team, we do better work. And, and I love that side yeah. of the culture so much. <laughs> and again, that's what makes the the lifestyle living experience there really for me 10 out of 10. It's a beautiful life. It is. Maybe one day, Matty. That's it. <laughs> that's a goal. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the, the biggest tournament you had, like your first tournament, let's mm. say? What was that like? It, it's interesting because the journey is this. You you feel that there's, like a player, when you're a player, you sign that first contract, it's a big deal. The media industry is a little different because I always dreamt when I was a kid that this moment would come. I'd get the call one day and you're in. That never came. It, it never came. So as I reflect on that question immediately, there are smaller moments where I had opportunities to do smaller things, but ultimately it was these small steps that suddenly in the blink of an eye, now I'm doing every single big game in the world that exists and I've done it for five years and I've been there on the ground. How did that happen? So there, the answer to that question is my first taste of tournament football, being at the World Cup in South Africa, being at the World Cup in Brazil, seeing these big tournaments that I used to watch on the TV screen in my nonna's kitchen in in Coburg in Melbourne, <laughs> and now suddenly I'm I'm there and I'm seeing the, the the blue Italian shirt that I watched since the day I was born, and not having a significant TV role, I was still very young, but being there and doing some writing and understanding, okay, well this is the the real world. The, the world isn't just through the TV screen. The, this is actually happening in front of my eyes. You start to then broaden your horizons, broaden your perspective to the point there when I started really my first TV job when I was in Qatar at that level, I was suddenly thrust into worlds where I wasn't so familiar with. For example, rugby. I had to interview some rugby individuals in studio and they were real early learning experiences. Then I was doing some MotoGP events because there were a couple of uh, races in, in Qatar that I did and I had watched that, but I'd never covered that. So all of a sudden you're you know, you're not the main man from day one. So you, you've got to take the skills you've learned and put them to the test and interview Valentino Rossi after he's just so gone through warm up. Like, but I don't know that much about this sport. Yeah, but I've been given the job. And that's how you learn. So then ultimately when you get to the European Championships, I've done the last five Champions League finals, World Cups, you're ready. Yeah, That's easy. 
I can do football with my eyes closed. That's not a problem. Tennis grand slams, I do these very, very easily. So there isn't one moment, but there are many moments that lead up to you being ready for those moments. So it's a little different, I guess, to the the player in terms of getting that contract and knowing now, okay, I've I don't believe in the fact that I've made it, but now I'm at that level now where I can start to mm. focus on the next step. It's just sort of been a very long transition. It's funny how like you can actually really relate it to to being a professional yeah. footballer, right? I've That's made a lot I'm of friends that. with players as a result of that, not by yeah. the sake of oh, I want to be a friend with a player. No, 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 no. the relatability, of course. Mm. And it's almost like you have your little trials. You wait for that, you know, big signing to say absolutely. But for, yeah, like it's the best job in the world without being a footballer. Yeah, I appreciate really? that. <laughs> um, obviously, being a footballer, a lot of preparation goes into, say, a game, training, whatever mm. it is. Mm. How important is preparation for you before a game, even before something like you just said, some rugby, something random that you've never really covered? Preparation is the absolute key to everything. And again, you guys can relate from the playing sense. No one sees mm. what I do. No one has a clue what I do because you can't see it. No one knows how hard I've worked to get to where I get to. And that doesn't change my mentality myself. I just I just do what I do for me anyway. It's It doesn't change that. But the preparation is everything. And by being prepared, that's what helps you maintain a stress-free approach to everything you do. So I don't care if I'm hosting an event for UEFA or FIFA in front of tens of millions of people around the world or I'm in a studio relaxing having a chat or I'm by myself on Skype from my kid. It's all the same. I apply the same skills because I'm prepared. Mm. So the preparation side allows you that when the goings get tough and when you are under immense pressure, which I can give you stories for days on, you just go into the mode that you know best where you rely on what you know to deliver. So if you follow me and watch my work and see what I do and today I'm in Madrid and tomorrow I'm in Paris, then I'm in Munich doing three games in three days and there's Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain against other opponents. Wonderful. But to get to these things, I've flown, I've caught trains, I've caught taxis, I've checked in and out of hotels, I've not slept that much. I guarantee I haven't eaten that much. But in the moment I need to deliver, I'm running on fumes, but you need to know how to switch on. Yeah. And that's that's the key. So it's it's maintaining that mentality that you've you know that you are ready and ultimately that confidence shows when you deliver and it makes everyone else seem like oh wow it's a yeah it's the dream job and it's yeah, always like that yeah, but really sitting there making yeah. uh, having espresso oh, boy, yeah, <laughs> filming uh, the the content <laughs> I, I often post on the on the socials uh, yeah. a cafe a yeah, cornetto yeah, with chocolate and people are like oh your life yeah. looks beautiful yeah. I had one minute to eat and take that. It's, there <laughs> was a lot of one hour. <laughs> one hour. No, so it's crazy. Yeah, and again, I've got many stories of examples, uh, particularly in the last sort of three, four years, but big events I've covered where you would think, oh, you must have prepared, you know, for days for that. Well, not really, because like I was doing something else every day mm. in the lead up. And th th this year there was a classic, classic story, if you'd like to hear this oh, year. Of course. Of course. <laughs> the last year that's gone by. It was Roland Garros. I do the French Open for one of my broadcasters. And I was covering that every day. It's a very, very intense tournament. Now, during the tournament was also the Europa League final, the Champions League final. Europa League final was in Budapest, which I did, Sevilla, Roma, in Budapest. I went mid-tournament, little time to prepare, went to Budapest, came back, continued as if nothing happened. With the same broadcaster, was intense. Champions League final was the most intense day of my life because what happened, Roland Garros women's singles final, the broadcast said to me, do a live hit for us in the morning. This is like 7 a.m. in Paris. 
then go straight to the airport in Paris at, my flight was at 10, fly to Istanbul for the Champions League final. Now that sounds like a dream. I get to the airport, my flight's delayed by two hours. There's a time difference. I didn't get to Istanbul till after 4.30. The match started at 10 p.m. As they do in Europe, they start late. (laughs) 4.30, I arrived in Istanbul to a disaster. There was chaos. There was one road to the stadium. My hotel was in the city. Istanbul's beautiful. I love Istanbul, but a mess. It's it's a mess of a city. I didn't have time to go from the airport to my hotel back to the stadium, so I went from the airport with my luggage to the stadium. I was pitch side with my luggage working. I was interviewing all the interlegends of the of the treble win in 2010. I was with Julio Cesar, Wesley Snyder, doing my work. Had no idea they were going to be working with me, but had to be fresh, sharp, switched on. Now, the day before, I was covering Djokovic and Alcaraz in the Roland Garros semi-final, and then here I am on the pitch now doing the Champions League final. Match finishes, disaster. Didn't get to my hotel until 2.30 a.m. because we could not get out of the stadium. Checked in and checked out within 45 minutes and slept 20 minutes in there somewhere. Jesus. To the airport, back to Paris. Yeah. Got there in the morning, straight to Roland Garros. Novak Djokovic wins his 23rd Grand Slam. I have to interview Djokovic on the court. As soon as he wins, he breaks Rafael Nadal's record and I have no energy. I haven't eaten, done anything whatsoever. And this was a 24 hours of mayhem. And so in the end, you see the picture of me interviewing Djokovic looking <laughs> fresh. And there I'm in the Champions League final on the pitch at the Ataturk Stadium. Great. But it's that work behind the scenes. Now, if you're not prepared, if you're not ready, that's impossible to pull off. I feel sick just listening yeah, to you. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think we travelled like a bit, you know, the last eight, eight weeks like when we were there and I was saying, like, no sleeping. I was right off for three days. Yeah, but we don't have to but be That's what I'm saying. I'm like, and I'll just sit on the couch, sit on the beach. <laughs> These guys don't need to be with Djokovic. <laughs> but do take us, like, what's, do you have a process for this? Say you say Champions League final, whatever, leading up, Hypothetically, you have nothing before. Sure, sure. Okay, that's the dream. Yeah, is there a process? Do you have like a set? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna research this. I'm gonna research this, mm. and then I'm gonna get this. Or is it just? Look, when I was at school, I did the same thing. In high school, I wouldn't cram. I wouldn't study. What I would do is I'd consume the information. I know what I know. Now we're talking. I'm gonna just tell you what I know. I'm not gonna pretend to be anyone. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. So, what I do is I'm. I consume constantly information, results, numbers, facts, figures. I read all leagues. I follow. I watch highlights where I can. I watch live where I can. And I just back that my knowledge of the moment and my subconscious historical knowledge will hold me in good stead for when I need to deliver. Mm. In terms of the process, each network I work for, this is difficult the way I work, but each network I work for produces different rundowns, different, they want different things from me. Some games I work at, at matches and I'm working for three different networks and UEFA have told me no one does that. Like sometimes I'm running to this side of the pitch because at this time I have them. Then I've got to go, I've got Africa here, I've got India there, I've got Australia there, I've got Middle East there and it's, you've got to know who you're talking to and what they want. Mm-hmm. And so as such, again, I don't overthink. I just will tell you what I know and depend on the duration, the requirements from the broadcast will, will determine what I give them. But having done it for so long, it gets to a point where if you tell me you need two minutes, I'll give you two minutes in a, I guess in a format that I know how to deliver two minutes on the dot, where I give you some numbers, I give you some quotes, I give you some backstory, I give you some what do I see, but just telling you what I know, not trying to tell you anything I don't. And so that's, that's the sort of skill that you develop over time with feeling comfortable within sharing 
what you know, how you know to do it. And it's, yeah, it's something I've really improved as, as I've gone on. It's definitely a skill. Actually, I wanted to ask you this. It's probably, you probably don't, but going back to football, do you have any rituals or superstitions pre going live <laughs> or before you go like and do a segment? Uh, it's not a bad one. I, I think when I played sport, I was a lot more superstitious. superstitious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't actually have anything that I do. I just always bring with me a couple of little things that I've got over the years. And I don't know, just when I got these, they're, they're nothing important, but when I got these things, I just always bring them with me. They're in my bag. So it's a very random one, but I've got a coin, I've got a, a, a coin from the US that my dad's mother gave me that I always bring. I don't know, the day she gave it to me, it just felt like a bit of luck. So it's, <laughs> it's always there in the bag. Yeah. I, I have a picture of my of my nonno who he's, again, my father's father. He's the reason that I love football. And I've got a picture of he that my cousin actually drew, quite a talented artist, and he mm. drew this. And I always have that picture. Uh, it was my background until recently then. My brother had a child, so I've changed that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I always bring that with me, and I just look at that. So, look, I don't. It's it's not not yeah. ritual, not not a superstition. It's just like I've always got a piece of home with me everywhere yeah. I go. And every time I look at that picture, I think, well, I'm working at the sun. I'm working at Sun City, or this is the whatever number game I've done yeah. this season at this stadium. I live ten minutes from here, and this is the stadium my nonna and I used to watch for, again from Coburg in Melbourne yeah. when I was a kid growing up. And now I'm here every week. Stay grateful. Stay yeah, humble. Appreciate what you've got. Nothing's guaranteed tomorrow. I just maintain perspective oh. and balance. That's unbelievable to think that. It is crazy. To, hey, it's to cool. be watching that, even for us, when I went to the Sun City, it was like a pilgrimage, right? That's crazy. The fact that you just walk down the street and you're there makes me <laughs> sick. But, <laughs> but yeah, touching again on that skill, right? Like we listened to your two, your two minutes, whatever, and I always think to myself, how does he like, – I started on this show. Yeah, you know, right. I <laughs> – Forget things Especially or whatever. Sleeping, and we sleep eight hours. This guy has sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, has any war, nothing. Yeah. Um, have you had any? I don't want to say awkward moments, but a few moments that really test you. Like, oh shit, what now? The toughest moments. The toughest moments is when the way I work is that everything is natural. So things happen. Mm. So I've responded well to difficult moments in the past because things happen. There was once I was live in the studio in Qatar and the auto cue that you read stopped working and I had to throw to a particular story and you've got the papers in front of you, but it's very hard in that moment to find. Luckily, I remembered what the next story was. I was able to throw and they were able to play some vision and it was okay. So that was probably the closest I came to what would have been a, a viral disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one. Aside from that, the, the most difficult moments I've had is, and it's often come at the Bernabeu, I don't know why this particular stadium, but at the Santiago Bernabeu, the connection hasn't been as good in recent years because they've been redeveloping yeah, the stadium. So when we're pitch side and it's pitch side either at halftime or closer to kickoff, the connectivity with the, with the live equipment can be a little interrupted due to people being in the stadium and, and all sorts of things, also sound. There was a Champions League semi-final Real Madrid against Manchester City that I was doing where Arsene Wenger was our special guest in the studio. And Arsene Wenger is listening to me talk football at the Bernabeu. That's ridiculous in itself, <laughs> yeah. right? So I'm like, I can't say anything that's going to make any sense. So I was providing some good what I'm seeing, what's, what I'm feeling, what's going on. Conversation was going well. 
they did this as a live two-way, so there were back and forth questions. Sometimes when it's close like this to kickoff, we just do a pre-record. Mm-hmm. That way I pretend it's live. They just play it as a straight 90-second hit and you mi- you avoid any potential disaster. This time they're like, no, 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 this is a semi-final Champions League, big, you go live, we ask you questions. And they were throwing me questions and Wenger asked me a question as the final question. They didn't word me up what this question was going to be, which normally they do just in case. And I could hear nothing, maybe a word or two every 15 words, 10, 15 words. And I responded to what I thought I heard and I had no idea if I'd hit the nail on the head or not. I finished. I couldn't hear them in the studio say, thank you. We'll catch up with you at halftime, anything like that. And I just got off air. And I was very tense and nervous for 10, 15 minutes because then my phone had no connection. I thought, I I have no idea how that just went. And then I finally got up to my media section and I received a text saying, you had no idea what was asked, but you pulled that off. That was good. Oh, so I read the sigh of relief. <laughs> I thought, thank God. But that's the moments where you can't even bluff that you're going to get away with that because you can look very silly very quickly. You do the old, uh, sorry, yeah. can't hear. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can, but again, I didn't. I, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea what was going on. So, you, you know, you can do that. And sometimes I've had that where it's like I've caught the first half of the question and then if I completely don't hear the rest, I have said, guys, it's so loud in here that I can't hear it. The atmosphere is incredible. And then I'll just yeah, 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 spin yeah. it off that yeah, way. Yeah. But in that case, that was... Mr. Wenger, and yeah. I was trying my – it was a great moment to speak with him. He's been in our studio often, hasn't often asked me questions, and that was a, a cool moment but a very difficult moment. But I take all those difficulties, I take all the knockbacks, all the negatives, everything I've ever experienced as they're the best moments to learn. Of course. And it's it's those moments then when next time that happens, I'll be better for it. Mm. So I always just put that spin on because I've had a lot of ne- uh, knockbacks, a lot of negative things that have happened over time unexpected things, but that's also all part of the learning process. So I enjoy it. Yeah, that's it. It's all part of it, I suppose. Oh, the biggest thing for me would be, like I couldn't do what you do anyway, but the opinion, mm. right? The opinion, you have to listen to opinions mm. and then you sort of have to be, you. yeah, <laughs> we're getting there, we're getting there. You sort of have to be pretty neutral to yeah, start yeah. with, but also you can't crack it. You can't, for me, mm. I'd walk off sometimes. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even yeah, joking. Nah, Some of the shit that comes out of – anyway, we'll get into that. But <laughs> how do you remain so calm? Because I'm watching mm. – we're watching it at home. And I'm like, Adriano, fuck, give it to him. Yeah. Give it to him. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These goals are killing me. <laughs> it happens. I don't know. That's, that's a good question because if you're having that conversation in a relaxed yeah. environment – you have your opinion and you can happily have your opinion and discuss and move on. I think, look, I think when you're in that environment, you can be very neutral very easily. It's where the professionalism hat mm. comes on. It doesn't mean that sometimes opinions or things being said can't annoy you because sometimes there is a lot of ignorance in the football world and it can be quite frustrating, especially when it impacts the reputation of your league, your your country, your players, the integrity, you, you take that personally because, like, that's my work. I, I cover this competition. I work with these clubs and players. I know them well. But ultimately, you're working in an environment with high-end people. Now, one thing I never do when I'm working anywhere, I never think I'm better than anyone. And it's that mentality which, even if it's someone of a – of a of an ex player nature or an analyst nature or a, or a younger, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where they're on the spectrum. 
each their own. I respect your opinion as, as, as fine, no problem, irrespective of your level of experience. And, and as such, you have these discussions in the public eye and you do it respectfully. And ultimately, that is for me the absolute key because you don't know who's watching, you don't know their opinions on things, and I think it's really important to respect everyone, even though it is just football, it is just fun. But respect is the key. Respect is one of the slogans of UEFA, and and that's the key. So one thing I do is respect everyone's opinion on football. However, however, when the opinion is coming from an ignorant place or an aggressive place or a disrespectful place, I have no problems in calling that out. So Mm. if they're making a comment based on what they think, what they feel, what they see, that's fine. But when it then negatively impacts the reputation, the image of something that's closer to me, that's where I have no problem in standing in, which is, uh, yeah, which is, which can be common at times across the the leagues at the moment because club football is in a really interesting place. Financially, the direction, there are a lot of big questions being asked. I think there are a lot of nervous clubs, organizations at the top level of football, which I think makes for a very uncertain future now going forward as well. Was there one particular moment where you really had to bite your tongue? Mm. I know we're sort of talking, we're touching on it a little <laughs> a bit off air, but... I can tell you one. I, I don't know how you, specific you can get. But. I can tell you one that comes to mind. I guess specific, don't worry. No, there's one. <laughs> That's what we like. <laughs> there's one that comes to mind very quickly. It was the Euro 2020 final Wembley. Now, this was an incredible experience. England, Italy at Wembley, not sold out because it was still peak COVID, but yeah. there was... 80, 85% of the stadium full, and obviously it was all English. Now, when I work, I'm not a fan I'm not, because actually I've lost my fandom for the sport. However, when it comes to Italy national team, this is something which is a bit different. They don't play all the time. I grew up watching this thing. Close to the heart. It's close yeah. to the heart in a different way, and it's the fact that they don't play every week. Mm. So it's still, it's still like that. And I was covering the European Championships, amazing experience. Obviously, it's a go on and win. Italy, England, two deserving finalists, very cool. But all the talk in the lead-up to this final, and I was in London for the semis in the final, all of the talk was how and why England were going to win, as they always do. The other talk was was that Gareth Southgate was going to be knighted on Monday after they beat Italy in the final. Now, I was listening to this thinking, well, why are they talking about that and they haven't even won? It's it's ridiculous. In Italy, we're not talking about like we've won. We're talking about respecting the opponent who are playing at home in a tournament they'd played the entirety of at home. Let's respect, let's win, then let's talk. Yeah. And in the lead up to the final, I was working for a couple of broadcasts at the final and beside me in the, the we had a small studio space and beside me was the British broadcaster. So there was Ferdinand, all the, all the legends of English football. Rio Ferdinand was certainly there making his presence felt. There was Gary Neville as well. And Gary Neville had a pinstripe suit on. And someone who was working with me as the expert with me, who was, it was an English guy, lovely, lovely guy. He was working with me for one of my broadcasters. He knows Gary quite well. So Gary came over and said, oh, look what I've got on my suit for when we win. And he had a pinstripe suit. And down the pinstripes of the suit, it said, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home. Now, this means that he had pre-purchased, pre-tailored this suit for the sake of flashing it on TV after England beat Italy in the final. Now, at this point in time, he heard me talk. He thought, okay, this is just an Australian guy here, whatever. No idea that I was of Italian heritage. And that was a moment where definitely you have to bite your tongue because you want to say, Gary, with all the respect in the world, you have to actually beat us first before you start parading around this 
bad-looking pinstripe suit, <laughs> which I don't know what you do with it now. <laughs> yeah, so that was a moment, we, again, full, fully respectful. I didn't say anything. It's not my place. No. I, I do respect the individual, but at the end of the day, there are many, many moments like that where sometimes you're in a position where otherwise you would definitely want to open your mouth. What makes that worse for me is that he's on TV. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can understand an opinion. Correct. I can understand punditry. Can, the but you are supposed yeah. to be the expert. Uh, where do you cross the line there? Do you know what I mean? Like where right. is the line of you just being a fan mm-hmm. and then actually doing your job? Absolutely. And we see that a lot. In, he does it with Man United yeah. all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, again, you take that to the next level. For the English in England where they're just focusing on club football, that, that's very infuriating. What I find that the English in general don't understand is that their people do that to the entire world and they don't understand that. And I work with them. I work in this space. They don't understand that often their English coverage that goes into England, that's fine. But often there is a thing called world feed commentary. What world feed commentary is, is that when you watch, for example, let's say in Australia be in sports, the Serie commentators, which – I know them and, and they're quite good, but this is just an in general example. They're world feed commentators, which means they may be in a booth in London, but they're broadcasting to the world. Yeah. So you cannot commentate to the world with an English lens on what you're commentating on. If they're working for Sky or BT or now TNT Sports in the UK to the English audience, that's fine. Because like in Italy, when Sky Italia are commentating for just Italy, that's just Italy. But obviously due to the language, when they commentate or broadcast to the world with the English lens, that is what starts to, and Australia is a really good example because Australia is a still a developing country in football. So when Australians are being educated by British bias pundits, that then leads to Australians often asking me, oh, we love your work in football. Which EPL team do you support? Well- I've never supported an EPL team in my life. In fact, I've barely watched an EPL game this season. And they can't believe that. Like, what do you mean? Like, that's football. Well, it's not. I watch other leagues. I prefer Serie A. I prefer Bundesliga. I prefer La Liga. Obviously, Champions League, internationals. That's my issue with that. So you're right. For for Neville to be a pundit and acting like that, his, his opinion is completely fine. Who are we to judge? But it's the the fact that you're a pundit mm. and then you are broadcasting that into a, into a, bigger, a bigger space globally, which has – a detrimental impact, particularly when it's us v them. And I deal with that a lot in the in the industry. We speak about it a fair bit, but you also have to give them credit in a way that they've brainwashed everyone mm-hmm. with their marketing. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Basically. It is though. <laughs> the, the best marketing competition yeah, in the world. 100%. In the world. I always say that the Premier League, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's like a farmer's league, whatever. You've got a lot of good mm. players in that, whatever, you know mostly other European nations that make those teams up. <laughs> but um, it's like they they make it out like it's the only football league in the world. It's the best marketed league, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like for me, the Bundesliga is just as attacking, just as, you know, golfers, entertaining, more entertaining, high intense, yeah. you know. But people don't open their eyes and watch that because mm-hmm. it's not put in front of their eyes. You know what I mean? It's colourful, the Premier League. Yeah. It's colourful, it's fast, it's attacking, exactly. it's – but that myth is now gone of the goals because Serie A scored more goals than Premier League Literally. in recent years. The They've marketed that competition so well. They have dominated markets, major markets around the world like Asia, yeah. different parts yeah. of Africa, so well mm. that all the money goes there. 
Yeah. Now they would rather this is this is where it's at, and this is why the talks and the for the Super League came. Now I'm not I'm not dis- discussing my yeah. opinion on that side of things, but the Super League came because the other leagues now cannot make the same level of money due to the wonderful business that the Premier League have done. Now, also, I'm not taking away from the quality of the of Premier League. Yeah, yeah. There's obviously top clubs, and they have been dominating now consistently deep in in European competitions. Of course, that's going to come. But this is now changing the dynamic, the landscape of European football as we know it. But at the end of the day, the the football experience in England, stadium experience, oh. you cannot tell me nah, that the no that way. the experience of going to a match at the Tottenham Stadium is better than any of the other top leagues in the world. No or going to the Emirates at Arsenal. Nah, the, it's the, the football experience is now being sucked out of it. And I feel the most sorry for the diehard supporters of those big clubs in England because their owners, and I really fear for the Americanization of football, very, very much fear the Americanization of football. These owners of these top clubs in England now would prefer 65,000, 70,000 foreigners in their stadiums than their own people. Anyone I know who's been to a match at, let's say, the Emirates and then comes to Sun City or the day after – there's no argument. That's not a competition because Sun City, or 1,000 times out of 1,000 for the football experience and the football. I'd love Inter and Arsenal to play at some point in the Champions League. But the, the, the football as well, it's it's different and it's changing and I really do fear for where the club game is at now because as time goes on and, you know, there have been many examples in recent years, but Bournemouth were outbidding Milan I remember that. for yeah. Zaniolo a couple of seasons back. This is going to become normal now because at the end of the day, the players, well, if I can make $5 million at Bournemouth or $2.5 million at Milan, well, I've got to get paid. No pressure there. Less pressure. It's different know, pressure. Relegation pressure. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's different. And yeah. so that's – and we've seen now with the Saudi money coming in. The funny thing of the Saudi money is that the English are now complaining about the Saudis. That's You've a, been doing it for hell. And <laughs> see, that's the thing that exactly. it makes me like it makes me angry, but it's, it's sort of hypocritical because mm. remember when the Super League came out, Agnelli this, you're mm. you're this, Perez, you're this. Mm. And I'm just thinking, I used to say Thalle, and I'm like, hang on a minute. The Premier League is basically the Super League it's now created, with just English exactly. teams. So like you're literally competing with the rest of Europe on not a level playing field. Mm-hmm. And you're whinging when these clubs are trying to look out for their own interests. Yeah. And I was just like, man, the the delusional like mentality on these people is just the joke. It's uh, it's exactly the same thing in a, in a, different, in a different way, way but yeah. it's going now against them. And they don't see it. And now the Arab, uh, look, Arabia's sort of yep. poking at them, yep. and now they're getting cut. And what <laughs> so, will happen, well, that's the thing. What will happen there with Saudi Arabia? Because think what they already did in their first transfer market was well was unexpected. They yeah, they went exactly. very big. If they do that a few more times, all of a sudden that does change the landscape of the game as we know it. So, look, I think that there's a. There's a big, big risk of football as we know it changing. We know the Champions League format's changing next year to become the Swiss-style system where it's one big league table, 36 teams, a few more opportunities for more leagues to have more clubs. But there's more football being played. Next year, there's the FIFA Club World Cup. There's a lot of football. And I think at the end of the day, whether you're on that side, this side, England, Italy, Saudi Arabia, wherever you are, the players aren't being spoken about enough yep. because the amount of football that they're being asked to play yeah. is, for in my opinion, far too much right now. Yep. And everyone's trying to take their piece of the pie and there's still international tournaments on top of that. There's yep. so much. They're expanding the international tournaments. So, again, 
I fear that the owners of these clubs who are really calling the shots that's changing the, the game as we know it, the, the last people that they're thinking about are the players, and as such, we're seeing more injuries. We're seeing we're seeing some lesser quality matches. Players are fatigued. Is that what we want the game to become? Probably not. I agree with you. Like I, for me, mm. it's become too much of a product, mm. and the players are suffering. And you can see, you can see in league matches after after Nations League or. Whatever. Don't get me. Too. It's always a pleasure to watch international football, but at the same time, man, quality is dropping. You can tell players are fucked. Mm -hmm. Like, at what points enough? It's Where true. does it stop? the The issue is, is that FIFA a FIFA and yeah. their competitions are their exactly. competitions. UEFA are UEFA, so they don't care yeah, what exactly. they're doing. They want to find holes yeah. in their windows for more. And they don't have the relationship with the clubs and the clubs and the leagues, and it's all different. I've been arguing for a long time, I think Serie A should go back to 18 clubs. Yeah. And if you do that immediately, there's four rounds saved. Mm -hmm. I think that Serie A desperately needs to do that because there, there's not the depth in Serie A like there is in the Premier League, right? You, you've you got 20 clubs in the Premier League where really most seasons, okay, a couple of recent seasons for the Premier League there's been some clubs that have been very weak that have been relegated early. But really, when you go the distance in the Premier League season, the final day, they're playing for everything. Yeah. The title, the top four, the top seven, the relegation. In Serie A, it's never the case. Mm -hmm. The bottom two are normally quite poor. So I think that that's an immediate way that – but then if they do that, Serie A lose revenue on TV. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> someone's got to be willing to lose, and there's not one yeah. organisation that's managing it all. So – there's no answer to the question. I think the point for me, you say more work and whatnot. At the end of the day, I'm a fan as well. Mm. And less is more for me. I'm over it sometimes. Yeah. I, I love the game, but I've covered that much football. It, I, I covered from the, the last season, not including the, the first half of this season, but last season from the start of Serie A to the Women's World Cup final was 11 months. I did two World Cups in that period and 11 months of football, Champions League, Europa League, those finals, Serie A, I covered 80 matches pitch side. I was over it. And still it's had a few after effects now where I'm like, I've done so much football. I think I've been to 100 matches of football in, in 13 months. That's too much. It's too much football. So, yeah. And that's me working almost to my maximum. I don't want more. Well, yeah. I want less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, maybe there's more work, but I want less. I want more of a break because true. that's why I love the international yeah. scene. Mm. That's why I haven't lost my love for Italy because when they play once every three months, exactly. you get excited to see that blue shirt even if they're playing exactly. a, a weaker team because Italy can still risk losing Definitely. as they do. But <laughs> ultimately it's that freshness of it's something different, something new. But when you're seeing – Man City and Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich and Real Madrid playing every three days. It loses its appeal. Yeah. What competition exactly are they playing right. today? 100%. Yeah. That's why derbies, I think, uh, everyone looks forward to them on the calendar because they're maybe once or twice a season and that's, that's right. what you look forward to. It's the same thing with the Champions League, like Fawn or whatever. That's you don't right. want them playing in the group stage. You know, City versus that's Real right. Madrid. Exactly. But, Touching on derbies as well. Might not be a derby, but did you have – a pitch side moment where you're just like, wow, I can't believe I'm here and I can't believe the atmosphere. Mm. Yeah, many, many, many. This is, like I said before, when it's become so normal for me just to get to San Siro, walk onto the pitch, 
shake hands with everyone yeah. in there from the staff to the federation staff to whatever. What a dream. That sometimes it just you becomes. Don't realize you don't realise. You don't realise. You're living it, yeah. You just. You're so busy that I haven't yeah, really had course. time at times to yeah. reflect on what I'm doing. It's really, so normal. Yeah. Go to the Olympic or in Rome, just yeah. walk on, you know, Great. the people, go to the Maradona in Naples, then go away and go to the Bernabeu and go to the Allianz in Munich and just go to the Parc des Princes and just whatever. It's normal. When you sit and have a chat like this, I quite like it because you actually do think, think oh, it, yeah. what were the moments that were, were kind of cool? Look, the, the most special moment that I experienced because it was a six-day moment was Milan Inter semi-final Champions League because that's once in a lifetime. Yeah, and that was the season gone, season just gone. The fact that happened is still incredible. But that's where you see the power of football because the whole city stopped. Six days, the city stopped. First leg Wednesday, second leg Tuesday. It was There was something big happening. And it was football. And that's where you see what the power of football does to even a bigger city in Italy like Milan. Obviously, Milan, not a regional town in Italy. It's a big, big city. But it's like, no, football has taken over. And when you're there and you see the tifo and you see the, the colour and the sound, it's just incredible. San Siro is my favourite stadium in the world and it is a – I hope it stays there forever. It is just remarkable. And – I often take great joy out of seeing the joy in others. Yeah. And I've been very lucky through my work that as a result of building relations and having a bit more flexibility, I've been able to bring some some close friends and some loved ones pitch side with me for them to experience. And it's at those moments where I'm like, okay, this yeah. is kind of <laughs> cool now. Yeah, yeah. And I actually took my – he married my cousin, my cousin, in Sicily, who's a big Inter fan. And I said to him, I'll take you to a Champions League game in the knockouts. And I took him to the semi-final second leg into Milan. So Inter won the first leg 2-0. Okay. They're going to go through to the final. And he's, you know, he's late 40s. And I thought he's he told me he'd only been to Sunset once in his life. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, he lives in Italy, he's from Italy, he's a big Inter fan. He's only been here once. I'm here every three days. Yeah. <laughs> and bringing him there. And he came pitch side and seeing the joy, he basically told me multiple times it was the best day of his life after the birth of his kids. <laughs> and it was just surreal. Into them win the game and all the Inter players and families were celebrating on the pitch after the match. And he was there. He, I lost him. He was there in amongst all the <laughs> players and fans. And it, that was special to, to witness that. So I think through others I've been able to reflect and enjoy of how – Grateful I am to to be where I've been. And that particular moment, seeing a city like Milan come to a standstill was was remarkable. Very recently, just as a secondary one in terms of an atmosphere, Donnarumma returned with Paris Saint-Germain to play Milan. The dollar, the dollar. Did you get one? I got one, of yeah. course. Yeah, of course. I got one. <laughs> that was the loudest sound I have ever heard in my life in the warm-up when they were whistling and booing Donnarumma. It was, they, it was just so much... <laughs> passionate dislike towards an individual. I was like, <laughs> it's just a sport, but no, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, no. It means more than that. And look, there's many, but they're the yeah. most recent ones in Milan at San Siro, which have been super cool. But like on the pitch, I've yeah. been lucky to see some really epic moments. You could even really feel that from here. Oh, the, the to be honest, Milan I thought he was going to collapse. Like, but he actually, to be fair to him, he had a, he had a decent game yeah. considering everything that they threw at him. Yeah. But yeah, like I was saying, that atmosphere, that Champions League semi-final, was mm, mm. even watching it was next level. We even stopped for six days because obviously yeah. we're big fans. <laughs> it wasn't great for me, but it wasn't yeah. great for you. <laughs> but it's hard to really like 
get that passion across to people here, right? And I'm not even from Milan mm. or Milano. I'm mm. obviously a fan, as many from the South that follow a bigger team. And it's hard to really put that into perspective to people that don't understand. We actually tried to show the semi-final on Ligon Street. Mm-hmm. And Adriano, when I tell you, you don't understand how difficult this was. And in the end, it was impossible. And it's things like that that make me want to go back so bad. I understand. Because I understand. it's so hard to live how you want to live football as yeah. a fan here. But it means more than just it's the game. Mm. That's exactly. the thing. It's hard to like always say it to even my girlfriend. Here. I'm like, you don't understand. Like my day, dream day of a weekend is literally go there for the boys, watch your football on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Such a simple life. That's but right. I'll go, I don't want to be waking up at three in the morning, half asleep, watching a game. I just want to relax, enjoy. That, that's the, what I look forward to every week. Of course, of course. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's so hard to try and tell people that. They think you're like a lunatic or something. Do, <laughs> no, you know what I mean? But you would understand. Of course. So, yeah, no. Tell us, like, I know as well, being around, say, in Milano before a game, mm. what it's like. Obviously, you experience this all the time. And a lot of people talk about it because it's a bit of a, I guess, a culture shock mm. in the football sense, mm. leading up to a big game. Mm. When does the talk start happening? You start hearing it in the streets mm. leading up to the game and then after. Is it literally like a seven-day thing? Look, football is all that's discussed. In the bars, restaurants, you have to experience it to really understand. Yeah. Because, again, with all the love and respect in the world, we're an AFL mad city here in Melbourne. And they'd say the same thing about their sport, mm. but it's not the same thing. 100%. It's not the same thing. You have thing. to live and breathe it. 100%. It, 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 it's a, it's a, here in Australia, we are sports fans. We love sport. The football fandom, the football culture in Europe, it's a, and, and other parts of the world, South America, other parts yeah. of the world, it's something else. It's their identity. Mm-hmm. Even when the, it's off season, it's their identity. We don't, Inter don't play Milan and Milan lose, then the Milan fans drown their sorrows at the pub and then wake up tomorrow and it's all good. No, 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 they're, <laughs> They're devastated until that next Next opportunity comes six months later. (laughs) It is so ingrained culturally into into their livelihood, partly because, like I said a little earlier, they they don't have as much as we do. They don't have as much as what we're used to having here. And as such, football, its prominence, its significance in their life is is escalated. So when does the discussion start? The discussion never ends. It It, it never ends. One of my – my biggest passion in life is travel, meeting people, learning new cultures. The thing I love about covering the Champions League, especially when they come to town, when the foreign clubs come to Milan or Rome, I love seeing the the, the foreign fans come in and, yeah, immerse themselves in the culture of what we have to offer. And and you see the, the, the foreign fans coming along. This Milan this season had Newcastle, had Paris Saint-Germain, had Dortmund. You're getting three different big sets of fans from three diverse countries coming in. I love that. And when you see when you see that and you see a bit of fun between fans and whatnot, that's what makes football beautiful, the fans. That's what the whole – where football's at at the moment with the financial side of things, that's exactly. what disappoints me the most because it's those people who are paying their hard-earned money to go and follow their teams abroad, which is what makes football what it is, not the fan who will pay 20 times that ticket just to go watch a game once in their life. Mm-hmm. There's a place for those fans, but those fans, the real fans, are the ones who deserve it most. So – that's what I love. The talk never ends. I 
got a lot of friends in in Milan, but I've made very close friends with a couple of top former players who they eat lunch at the same place every day. We eat lunch every day. The discussion is the same every day. Just the teams alternate, the topics change, but it's the same story and it's what people identify with. And it's just, uh, again, football, food, fashion in Milano as well. <laughs> it's what it's all about. And the world goes round, the days right. go on, but they make the most of every moment. It's always a beautiful thing to be part of. Speaking of former players, have you ever been starstruck meeting like a legend or a, or a player that you thought, Jesus, yeah, he scores in front of like me. Interview, I mean, like, yeah. like Novak or Valentino, you're like, Jesus Christ, he's actually there. <laughs> you know, the, it's, it's so weird because even when I was young, this was one thing that I respectfully didn't care about. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how or why. I, I've certainly had moments where I'm like, oh, well, there's that yeah. individual there, but never a moment that, oh, I feel in awe of a fact that I can't function yeah. because there's Novak. In fact, with Djokovic, like I actually got a really good relationship with him and he actually really likes me. It's very weird because <laughs> I, I just like do my thing, but like we've worked together now over the last few years and he, like his agents told me he like, he really likes you. Yeah. I didn't do anything. I just was completely myself. And as a result of doing that, I've been able to really form some really nice natural relations with top, top, athletes globally because I think, I like to think that they see me as just like yeah. another guy doing another thing just as they're doing. All right, Jokic's got a bit of money, but like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, just like he's just doing his thing and I respect the hell out of that because he's another, he's a he's a young guy doing huge things and I'm, I'm motivated by what he does as oh. opposed to being in awe of what he does. Yeah. And that's always been my mentality. I... I have had a couple of moments recently like where I've interviewed a player for a first time. Very recent example for you. I was tense going into the Italy Euro qualifiers, the playoffs. Oh, not the playoffs, but the last qualifiers. The Ukraine game? Yeah. North Macedonia, yeah. Ukraine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Italy risked missing of another course. tournament, I, <laughs> I couldn't stomach yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I've done a lot of work. I do a lot of work with Juventus, but because he's been injured for so long, Chiesa is a player I had never, ever worked with. I never, never interviewed, never worked with, which is bizarre because he's a, he speaks English. He's mm. not, doesn't make sense, but he's been injured for quite some time. And he's a player, I guess, as a kid growing up, you have a lot of favorite players, but I guess now at this stage of my career, I'm older than Chiesa, yeah, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's a player I really, really love to watch, love to watch. And I did interview him after both the North Macedonia and the Ukraine match. And he was so brilliant in both. that for the first time in a very long time, I did have a, it was a bit of added excitement to think, oh, like yeah, finally, and it was yeah. really nice. And the, the first, so the first time it was a good, like nice, nervous energy when he came. They told me he's going to come straight to me. That was great. And then the second time, again, he he knew me, remembered me from three days before in Rome, and he's like, you know, it was really nice to see. So, look, I th there's no one where I've been super yeah. starstruck that it's altered the performance, but I think it's that thing of they're playing at that level, yeah. I'm working at that level. Mm. You're part of the same game. There's a lot of mutual respect, yeah. and again, you just. Bring it back down to basics. Be you. Don't try being anyone you're not. People will respect. People can choose whether they like it, they respect it or not, and that's it. I give myself no, the best chances and the best work. I think it comes across in your interviews yeah, as exactly. well. exactly. Like it's Pretty natural. Not, it's very natural. You know, you have a bit of a laugh. That's, you I get a smile out of the player. It's not so rigid. I appreciate it's, that. It's actually very, very enjoyable to watch. Even though. like the Milan, I love the watching the Milan segment, and that's that's what I love about it. It's not as formal, you know. It's mm. just relaxed. You're having a conversation. You're all being yourselves on there. 
I appreciate I that a lot. That's what we like to see in the media. Yeah, but I, I think it's relatable. It's like we're sitting exactly, here having, yeah, having a chat. Exactly. People are watching on, yeah. and they're feeling comfortable, like they're part of the discussion exactly right. as well. Definitely. It's definitely a mindset too, though, because if that was me, <laughs> when we had Diamante in the studio back in the day, man, I, I, I was like, <laughs> the mouth would work. But in saying that, in saying <laughs> that, if we were playing as Adriano yeah, was saying, you're at, at that level. Yeah, you exactly you right. see these people at a different level. You respect him for who he is, but it's yeah. like I want to beat you in a way. Uh, you know what I mean? Obviously, you, you don't want to beat him, but you're yeah. admiring, yeah. you're admiring exactly their work. Right. It's you, yeah. you meet people every day in the world. Doesn't yeah. matter if they're a sports star or not. You meet people every day. Like, wow, I'm, I'm really. Attracted to what that yeah. person's doing, I, I I I appreciate that. I admire that. I respect that. It's no, it's definitely. a cool thing. Talking about meeting great sports people, was there someone that you really wanted to interview, and you maybe had a perception of them in your head, and then when you met them, you were like, that, that guy was an asshole. Like you don't have to. Name you don't them. have to. Name, maybe give us a few hints who mm. it could be. Yeah, that's not a bad. That's not a bad one. That's not a bad one actually. Because I know after games, yeah. some sometimes players are tense. Mm. They don't, that's the last thing they want to do, but they have to. Let me tell you on that first. I'm not a journalist by trade. Like, yeah, I technically am, right? Yeah. But not a journalist by the old sense of the trying to go out there, get the scoop yeah, to throw yeah, people under the bus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, I never call myself a journalist. I say people say, "What do you do?" I say, "I'm a presenter." That's it. I'm a talking head. Yeah, I do interviews, but I don't do those interviews. I do the interviews like this, like like we've just yeah. said, where it's just chill and relaxed and calm. As such, as such, my because of the interview style and technique, I've never put someone in a position where they've been uneasy. I've never, if I've done longer sit-down interviews with someone, I basically say to them, listen, I want to take this where you want to take it. So that's the yeah. only thing we're going to do. No problem. And as such, I haven't had an experience where someone's been off put by what I've done. The answer to your question is that probably there's only one that comes to mind that was like, not that I had amazing viewpoint of this player. He's not even the biggest player in the world, but not that I had the amazing viewpoint, but the interview was like so boring that it was like, <laughs> I was like, you could have given me something, give me something a bit yeah. more. And I can give you the name. It's not the biggest player in the world, but Milan Skriniar. I interviewed him quite a few times at Inter. And it was like, where... I was working for the English broadcaster covering Serie A. There was talk he wanted to leave Inter. Mm -hmm. So I already knew that well before. I'm the English broadcaster here. You know, the Premier League fans are watching here. Give me some stuff. It could be a good sell yeah, for you. Like so, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, And the interviews are so boring and dull, so it doesn't make it the, the, the best piece of work. In terms of an individual, though, where it can go wrong, fortunately I've interviewed him many times. Touch wood, touch all wood that it never goes wrong because if you get this guy at the wrong time, it's a disaster and I've seen it happen to other TV networks at times and it's Mourinho. Oh, yeah, oh. I can imagine. <laughs> Mourinho is one where if you just say the wrong word or yeah. he's in a mood, you have to be very, very careful. You have to walk on eggshells a bit. So Mourinho is the one who I absolutely love and respect but every time I've interviewed Mourinho – there's always just a hint yeah. of uh, 
Are you a little bit nervous? <laughs> because oh, you, I'm you nervous got, to watch in the interview. You, yeah, I know, <laughs> What's he going to do, man? He's going to throw something at a dream. Mourinho is definitely the one where you don't know what you're going to get. And in recent times as well, I've only ever had good experience with him, but in recent times, well, Klopp is one. He's a bit- Yeah, he's a bit moody as well. He's getting a bit moody, yeah. Klopp. And I love Klopp, but he's yeah. getting, he's getting <laughs> yes, a bit he's, moody, so- yeah. Even with Mourinho, he's got that weird sense of humour. Mm. I, I get across, I'm not like I know him, but yeah. <laughs> I get across. <laughs> him yeah. Sunday night. But you know what I mean? He sounds like he's, he's joking, but then he's not. And then when he's joking, like he's not joking, he yeah. is. He's that it's like, when do you, yeah. you know? Seems like a very. But it's like he plays sometimes in that mood that he's in. It's like me against everyone. And then that's when he goes on those like rampages. And he's getting and, worse. Yeah. And he, he's getting worse with that. It's yeah. like he's becoming a bit of a cranky yeah, older like, man. Yeah, I'm no good anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah this, I won this. <laughs> yeah. doing all that. If that happens, he'll be like, Josie, yeah, I love you. Like, no, <laughs> we know you won the Champions League. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I love you, Josie. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, what was interviewing Messi like? Because we are pretty big Messi fans, mm. apart from the, all the other. That was like, at the – where was that? Milan, the UEFA event, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, FIFA, FIFA, FIFA Best. Event, FIFA Best, that's right. The backstory of this is pretty crazy because I just moved to Milan. I left Australia. I was in Qatar, spent some time in New York, then was in Australia and then went to went to Milan. So it was pretty quick. It was it was all pre pretty quick over over yeah. a three year period, yeah. like yeah. here, there, and everywhere. And despite the work I had built up. No one was giving me a chance in Australia. Like I just didn't get any love shown, and not for the first time in my career either. And I thought, first I didn't have enough experience, but I had potential. Now I've got the experience, but I haven't done what they wanted me to do. Now I'm still not getting anything. So I'm like, what do I do? So I was at the sort of crossroads where I had experience, maybe too much experience in some places here. So I was like, I've just got to go. And something in my gut told me go. To Milan. You got the passport, it's easy. You've got the contacts, you've got some networks already, go. I did it. And my message, my advice for anyone, if you've got the opportunity to pursue something, you've got the desire, just do it. Because if you're from this country, if you're watching this and you're from Australia and Australia is your fallback, understand how lucky, how grateful, how appreciative you should be and how lucky we are to have this place because it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be from. So chase your wildest dreams. Mm. And it was at that moment where I was like, nah, enough. I'm not waiting here for them to give me an opportunity. Go. I literally was flying, fly Emirates, Melbourne, Dubai. I landed in Dubai. I received an email from FIFA asking if I could host the FIFA Best Awards green carpet show in Milan. I don't even know if they knew I was moving to Milan. And this was on the way through. And I get to Milan and we, it's my first major job there was this. And then there's Messi who wins the award. It was the most surreal moment where whatever you believe, you believe fate, destiny, whatever, but it was the most surreal moment of just, yeah, back yourself, go, things will come, things will happen. They don't always have to be the biggest thing in the world like that, but it's just like things will happen, things will take care of itself. And I did it. And so what was the experience like? Well, the experience was surreal from the, from the get-go. I was working with... Messi was the last that we interviewed that evening from every star in world football. Obviously, that was the period of Real Madrid's dominance, so that entire squad was there from Modric, Sergio Ramos, Marcelo, all those players. Was Ronaldo there? Ronaldo didn't come because he wasn't winning it. That's right, yeah. <laughs> that was the only one. Pretty standard. <laughs> because that was the year it was Messi, it was yeah, Van Dijk, right. and yes, then Ronaldo. Right, and Ronaldo right. had just 
moved, or not had just, but he was at Juve. It was his first. Yeah, he was at yeah, your first yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. First Juve. season, yeah, yeah, Juve. Yeah, yeah. They were a month into the season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ronaldo. So Ronaldo was a forty-minute train away. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> so the whole thing was just uh, surreal. That moment. Obviously, there was a there were the young Ajax players coming through. I remember like Delict and De Jong, and there was Van Dijk and Salah and Mane, and it was just a crazy experience to be part of. To finish with Messi there winning the another another accolade like that was just a, a night that was I, I can't put into words, but it was basically the night that then started what was to come. Mm-hmm. And what was to come was again a lot of unknown. It was all unexpected, but it was like, yeah, well, you, um, I, I was not given an opportunity in Australia two seconds ago, Literally. and now I'm interviewing Lionel Messi. Where where do I belong? Where, where do I belong? And I thought, no, I belong here and go. And so the next year COVID came and many people say to me, oh, you're going to go back to Australia, this and that. There was not one ounce of me that thought, yeah, I'm going to go back to Australia. No, I'm going to see it through here, more will come. And ultimately it proved to be the the best decision I made was that because then it just rolled from there. And, you know, fast forward now, we're four years from there now, fast forward on to now and, yeah, I wouldn't have changed a thing. In the world of football, man, and yeah. those type of things, exactly. I think it's everyone has to do it, man, yeah. if they want to take it to that next level. Quickly too, you interview all these unbelievable players, stars all over the world. Surely ask for autograph, at least. I know you say it's a job, <laughs> I know and all the rest of it, but surely a photo, autograph, something. I can't give you. I don't, never, no. never, never. I don't have. Who's gonna have this mad collection in the apartment? Never. I've never asked for an autograph. Really? Never have I asked for an autograph. I, yeah. I've, every time I worked, there's always photographers and yeah. taking photos. So I've Jewish, got, I've got those. I've got those photos. I've been gifted a couple of things from some players I've made friends with. I became very close with Aussie men. Uh, particularly last season at Napoli and Ossiman is uh, – Victor Ossiman is the definition of a player that I love, respect and admire. Again, I'm older than Ossiman, but what he's done, his life journey, his story, obviously the quality on the pitch, yeah. but this is an individual who motivates me to be better. To have formed a nice small relationship with him has been super special because I'm inspired by what he does where he comes from, what he stands for. Amazing. Osman gifted me his uh, like his training top after they won the Scudetto last year, which was really oh, cool. Crazy. Being in Naples when they won the oh. Scudetto was becoming too intense, but it was <laughs> an unbelievable <laughs> three months because it was never ending. But just being a part of that was super cool. But no, it, autographs, autographs, no. Yeah, there's always photographers around taking photos and – yeah, there's. I guess, have I got photos where I actually like? Can yeah. we take a photo? Victor and I did last last year after one, but that's yeah. after really building the relationship. relationship. Yeah. I knew he was going to win awards and whatnot, and we just congratulations, whatever. Can we just take a photo? And it's it's nice and again as I would with a friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As I would with a friend, yeah. as opposed to. Asking, but I have seen some other journalists and presenters at times yeah. ask, "Oh, can you sign this for my kid or yeah. sign something like that?" Look, if I ever need to in the future, maybe I will. But <laughs> I, I don't. I just, yeah. I, I always like to keep the professional hat on and just keep things. The next time they see me, maybe that yeah, makes yeah, yeah. me less serious. That little yeah. bit, I, I don't know. So, not something I've done at this point. It's nice that you can build that relationship with players. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
it's also beautiful because they don't have the biggest world around them. Mm -hmm. And again, not that not that these are the guys that I'm going to be calling up to go grab a, a cafe one morning no, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. but you're meeting new people, and that's my biggest passion in life. I said, and meeting and traveling and learning new things, and then that's it's really really cool. I I did a really nice. I had an exclusive interview uh, via the agent of Danilo Juventus oh, and Brazil player yeah. before the World Cup last year. And we spent a beautiful 45 minutes together having a nice chat and really getting in deep about his love and passion for his country and what it means and what's different about playing for your country as opposed to your club. And we were able to build just, I felt like a really special rapport. Mm -hmm. And But that was all professional and that's it. Now, I don't do this for this reason, but the first thing, as soon as I got back to, to our car and we were going back to Milan, the first thing that I'd, I'd seen, Danilo has followed me on Instagram. By the way. Danilo's agent is messaging me saying he really enjoyed that interview. Thank you. Now, it's nothing to do with the Instagram, but it's the appreciation mm. for the fact that he actually enjoyed that moment. And he was quite open saying, you know, we don't have a big circle here. Uh, my family's in Brazil. I've got my immediate family here. You're building new relations with people who otherwise don't have a world where they can go out and live normally because, you know, being a professional player at that level, they can't. So, yeah, I take great value from those experiences, even more so than the work that, that you ultimately see. I think it's that's not, a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, definitely. Because for 30 seconds, a minute, whatever it is, exactly. they might see you. Oh, it's Adriano. I'm comfortable. I can trust him. Correct. And like you said, man, footballer circles circles super small. Just that little, you know, that little moment. And I think for the fans too, because people see them on TV, you know, oh, this guy's earning money. Mm. You know, he's a prick or whatever. They just, you know, they don't see the human side behind it. You Correct. get to open up and see there's actual a good bloke behind this Absolutely. guy, you know? Absolutely. And so I think it's good and important for them to then show that to the rest of the world and people don't judge them as quick, you know? Absolutely. And so, you see you see a yeah. lot of players, you know, abusive players and things yeah. like that. I, I, again, even as a, as a kid, I always thinking, you know, that's still a person, right? That's still a person. This is just a sport. That's a person trying to pursue something at a very intense, high, stressful level. Like yeah. there is that side. So the more – Relations I build at that level, the more you, I think like that in terms of just that respect is is super, super important, especially how isolated they are and alone. This is what we speak about a lot and mm. what we try to get across a lot, that we've been footballers, yep. but we're humans. And even the whole thing with Tonali, mm. yeah. I, I get it, all right? He's stuffed up. Mm -hmm. But there is a human behind that player. He's also a 23-year-old kid. He's a 23-year-old right. kid. Exactly. Who is suffering suffering mentally. Mm -hmm. Some of the abuse that these players cop is just ridiculous. Like, And then the, the famous one is, oh, it's all right. He, he earns 100,000 pounds a week. Yeah, because that makes you immune to feeling like, you know, exactly. depressed or anxious. Correct. I'm exactly. like, mate, what, what, what planet do you live on? Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. And I, I think people forget. I think people forget that, Definitely. yes, it's the greatest job in the world, mm -hmm. but it comes with pressure, stress, yeah. and everything else that you feel. People you know? lose the reality of it because they only see these individuals on their TV screen. Exactly right. that, that's what it is. It's uh, There's no sense of perspective. You're exactly right. Having a few more dollars in the bank Changes nothing. It doesn't make you immune to anything. Exactly. Nothing. You get sick like the poor bloke on the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nothing changes. So they're a normal person going through a normal thing. Yeah, they're being hassled a bit more. They might be under a bit more global attention, but they're dealing with the exact same stresses as everyone else. And when it comes to something like that, understanding the isolation of a footballer, if they're not training, again, they can't go out. 
exactly. They, they, they don't go out. I, I've again, I see all the former players that eat and live in my street yeah. every day because they got nothing else to do. <laughs> but the current players, I never see wandering around. Milan's a very small city. They're not doing that. They're inside. A lot of them that I've worked with this season, particularly I've spoken to a lot of the younger ones especially, they're really big into gaming now. They yeah, sit there, they really, play yeah. they play games. Yeah. That can become very lonely. I'm not a gamer, but yeah, I can imagine sure. that can become very yeah. lonely. That can become maybe very boring. So you've got to find something else to do. Mm. Uh, obviously not supporting the, the gambling yeah, side of course, things, but no, no. just having a go and oh, how stupid. It's you the have reality. To, it's the reality. Yeah. He's finding something to do. 100%. He's got a lot of money and he's struggling, obviously, mentally. It's not that it's – you can't comprehend how that could happen. Yeah, exactly. So support exactly. as opposed to abuse and respect. And that's something which in football at the moment, sadly, it's because of social media and everyone can have an opinion these days at the click of a button, which obviously in some sometimes is a good thing, mm. but in these occasions is a terrible, terrible thing. It's just it's disgusting some of the the comments well, that we see online. I think you hit the nail on the head, Lock. If he's, he's a young kid with obviously a, a gambling problem, yeah. Mm. And he's had so much time on his hands, so he started gambling. But for me, to then just strip him and just isolate him like this, mm -hmm. for me, all you're doing is is bringing those demons back because Maybe he needs, like, actually help. He has yeah. an addiction, like yep. if he was a cigarette a smoking sure, addict sure, sure. or a drug addict. Yep. It's the same thing. So for me, even the way this has been handled, is just at least Fajol is allowed to train, mm. you know, so he can sort of keep, you know, going. And, on the outer. Yeah, like mm. he's just been erased, basically. Like, mm. you know, I'm like, mm. I don't know. but I think it's a, it's a great thing you do as well. Yeah, definitely. The way you interview people, you bring that human side behind the football, which is nice, you know. Appreciate it. It's not like some of these interviews you're like, uh. Hence mm, why the, the biggest names in the world love doing interviews with mm, you exactly. because it's a credit to your work, you know. I appreciate that a lot. No worries. So I guess to wrap things up, what is the ultimate goal? What, what, when do you sit back and say, ah, I made it? <laughs> your questions have been very good today and this is another <laughs> one I don't have a direct answer to because – the, 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 I've made it, I said it at the start, but the, I've made it factor for me has never been a thing because I don't think it exists because I think you can always continue to learn and grow. And I think I work in a, I work in a weird industry because there are a lot of people who do what I do and whether they do more or they do less, not important, but they act as if it's the, it's the easiest and best thing in the world without talking about what we've discussed, the, the reality of it behind the scenes. I guess for me where I'm at now, if I – again, it's nice having this chat because I can actually reflect on what I've done, like World Cups and European Championships and I've been pitch side at the last five Champions League finals and I got opportunities now that I would never have knocked back 10 years ago that now I'm saying no to. I've, ar I've arrived at that point where I've done everything I set out to do I'm not, I haven't played these matches, but globally as a broadcaster, I've covered every big match in the world that exists, which I can't believe saying that because it's not, again, it was, I guess it was the pipe dream, but it was just like work, keep your head yeah. down, work hard, focus on what I can control, and ultimately I'll get there. I always had that belief and confidence, which at times here was taken oh, yeah. the other way. That's a cultural thing here. That's a discussion for another yeah. day. Yeah. But there was never an overconfidence thing. It was like, I'll back myself yeah, sure. to be the best I can be. And so now that I've arrived at this point where I've covered all of these big moments, big events, you know, I've, I work for AC Milan, FIFA and UEFA, I've hosted these international events that I guess were, were as much a dream as anything. I think my next objective is to really now consolidate myself at that level and become 
a prominent face globally consistently in the game. So, you know, I'm in, I've got one foot and four toes in with FIFA and UEFA now. I've been lucky to host some real big events with them. If I can get to the point now where I expect to be hosting X amount of events per year, every year, and you're really that regular option for these global organizations, that's the next step for me to take. Mm -hmm. In terms of games, it's not that I've done it now and I'll move away, but I'm certainly in a position where I've done so much football that I'd love to have a bit more of an outlet away from the live match side of things. So it's like I've really fulfilled that desire. Keep working hard, keep pressing, and keep chasing the unknown. And what that is, where that takes me, I don't know, but that's what keeps me going and what I love about my journey to this point. Do you have uh, any exciting plans in the works that you can shed some light on? It's never, look, it's it's never it's never ending, really. Look, my, my my upcoming period is much of the same. Like this year, this year's gonna be much of the same. I I literally just got my my schedule for the round of sixteen for the Champions okay. League, given yeah, the draws yeah. out. So I already know I'm going to to Munich, I'm going to Madrid, I'm going to Barcelona. There's Barcelona and Napoli. I've got Atletico Inter. I'll do the games in, in Italy, in Milan, in Naples, in, in Rome. Europa League with Roma and Milan, with Serie A, the Euros of this year as well. So it's, it's much of the same. And I've been in this sort of now cycle for many years that I can basically guess exactly what my schedule is going to be, which is still great because this is what I've worked very hard to do but it's much of the same. I'm at a point now where because I've done so much of it, mm. I'm like, now, well, what's next? And so what I'm starting to work on as a bit of a side project is because of my connections, people often ask me, what are you going to do with all the people you know in this world, in, in this industry? Because you've got to do something at some point if I want to take it somewhere else. I'm really in a position where I'm flirting with serious ideas with some really big commercial brands and some, some big agencies in Europe to work with these players to showcase their story the way that I, the way that you very kindly put the way that I do it. And my my next step is definitely aside from my live matches and whatnot to, to give these players a platform to talk about themselves in a very relaxed and calm manner that sort of pushes the boundaries of media mm. as we know it today. One thing I dislike are like press conferences and things like that, post-match interviews, as I said. I want to allow players that go through tough times and there's been many examples this year, but to feel that there's an easy platform to talk about themselves in a way that they can put in their words, no fluff, no garbage, no nonsense, and really be that sort of, I guess, that midpoint, mm. that trusted midpoint for them to allow to to talk freely and openly. And something I'm sort of working on, but it's very hard when you're at a game every three days for 365 days a year. I think that's definitely, <laughs> that's an amazing idea. I think that's definitely what the industry needs because- we always have this discussion even with Braden off air mm. in saying that players these days, they're, they're literally robotic interviews because they're trained that way. That's because right. a certain word gets taken out of context, it becomes a headline, That's and then right. they don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But then, then the, the people outside are like, but why don't you just be yourself? But it's like, then I'll be myself and then I'm over the, on the front page of every, every newspaper yeah, right. in the world. So, And that's what football's becoming. I think that's, yeah. That's what football's becoming. It's becoming very, very, it's all about marketing. It's all mm. about... Ticking the boxes. It's like the world we live in. Politically correct. You can't say this. Again, you can't that, say that can be the podcast for next yeah, time. Next but time yeah. we'll even because that, that <laughs> is, if, if you want to move to Italy, then that in Italy is not, is a different world. It doesn't exist in, yeah, in, that, in the same way. That's another thing. Yeah, we won't get started because <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all day. <laughs> Just quickly, who's winning the Champions League? Man City, Bayern, Real are the best three. 
Manchester City for me, there's not they're they're as good as any chance to to go back to back. Obviously, this moment for them not great. The the Smokey is definitely Inter Milan. Yeah, I agree. Inter Milan is the best is the best squad in form. They've had some issues, obviously a couple of slip-ups in Europe. There is definitely talk in Italy that Inzaghi is focusing on the second star and we've seen him rest a few players in match day five, match day six of the Champions League and if he wants to win the Scudetto, maybe that takes away from the Champions League push. But I think they will win Serie A quite easily in the end and I think that Inter can definitely win the Champions League because I went into the round of 16 draw thinking that Inter, doesn't matter if they draw Manchester City, they could still beat them. 100%. City definite favourites, but they could still beat them. Inter now, Atletico is going to be a nice, tough test, yeah. but I think if they get through that, I think Inter can go all the way. Jeez. Oh, oh, as a, as as a Milan fan, oh, I totally agree with you. Uh, it's how it is. I can't say I, that. I agree I with we'll lose 100%. No, yeah, no, it's how it works. I think you're the best <laughs> team in, in to face any other team. Yeah. You're well set up with any other opponent. you got a chance. There, are holes, there yeah. are holes in every squad at the moment. Yeah. The, this round of 16 isn't yeah. the strongest we've seen. No, no. There are issues with all of the top 100%. clubs. I think Inter is the best squad. Yeah. And also from last season as well, grown, improved. One more signing needed in January though, I think, especially in attack. Let's see. Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, we'll see. Anyway, I think we'll wrap it up. Adriano, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank so you good guys. catching up. We have to get you on again. Absolutely. Anytime. Hopefully, we'll come to Milan. We'll film. Yeah, hey, yeah. That's, that's the, the plan. If we do the Milan <laughs> special, we'll get a few of the former players that's involved. It, we'll have a good one. Freedom will fly over, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already, please uh, drop us a follow on Spotify, also on YouTube. Subscribe, Instagram, and everything else. Is that everything, Matty? I think so. Yeah. Thank you once again for tuning in and we'll see you next episode. Ciao. Ciao.